So I just want to issue a warning. And even after the divorce is over, if you are a high conflict couple, don't do exchanges where you even go to each other's door. Yes. Let the child come to your car. If they're old enough to walk, let them come out to your car. Don't stand at the doorstep banging on the door and create some kind of anger issue that will escalate. So this is a serious issue. And, And keep in mind that a parent who's prone to alienating behaviors this is yes. one of the tools in their toolbox. Yes. Right. So we want to make it clear this is a danger for anybody who has a co parent. And some people will manipulatively connive to make this happen. And yeah. then you're in jail. And now you're not being able to see your mm-hmm. children. This is Diane Dirks. And I'm Rick Voiles. We've been working with co-parents in conflict for more than two decades. We've taught classes, written books, counseled parents, empathized, and even agonized occasionally to help people make sense of their complicated families. We were talking one day, and it occurred to us that helping the most difficult cases comes down to one simple concept. Is one parent willing to let go of the tug-of-war rope, or is it worth it to hold on and fight? So we invite you to take this journey with us each episode as we tackle the questions, should you hold on or let it go? Welcome to Co-Parent Dilemmas, where we give you practical solutions to those impossible co-parents. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Diane. How are you? I am doing well. I really am. Good. Me too. We never say we're doing terrible. I'm doing terrible today, Diane. I I (laughs) wish we didn't have to record because I'm just not not really. (laughs) Someone taught me something a long time ago. It was actually a pastor friend of mine. He said, we go around asking people, how are you today? And we don't really mean it. Right. (laughs) Because as we're walking by them, like in the workplace or whatever, hi, how are you? How are you? And we keep on walking. Like yeah, if we really yeah. meant it, we would stop and please say, please don't really please tell, tell me. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're afraid they're going to go on and on and on about how horrible their weekend was. Right. So he yes. taught me to say, are you doing okay today? Oh, oh, so then he could just get a yep. Well, that would throw people off. That definitely would. Because that's not where we're used to. And because I would come into work and he would say, are you doing okay today? And I would stop and go, actually, I had a rough weekend. Mm. And then he would say, well, tell me more. And then I would tell him and I loved him for that, that he just acted like he cared for five minutes. So I started using that more. Are you doing okay today? And if people said, yeah, I'm great. Okay. It just didn't feel like the social kind of. Passing yeah. off. Yeah. Right. Or I don't know what the word is. The just perfunctory maybe is the word, right? Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do instead of being really interested. Anyway. So are you doing okay today, Rick? <laughs> I am doing okay today. Actually, I'm doing better than okay since you put oh. it that way. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. So we have an email from Rodney. And I'm not sure where Rodney's from, but based on his opening phrase, I'm going to think he's a Southerner. So yeah. I'll let you go ahead and read that. For okay. Us. So Rodney says, please, you all, 
I need no, some help. No, we'll say that again. That didn't sound very Southern. You're oh, okay. okay. <laughs> y'all. You got to say right. y'all. Okay. I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Rodney says, please, y'all, I need some help. Okay. My ex-girlfriend and I have a son who is two years old. We were never married, and I got away from her because she started trying to get me put in jail. Ooh. We would fight and she would get up in my face and say, just go ahead and hit me. I knew if I touched her, it would be all over for me. So I moved out. Now she won't let me see my son unless I come over to her place to get him. When I get there, she won't bring him out. And I don't want to go in because she will bait me again. When I call and ask to talk to him or FaceTime with him, she says, if you want to see him, come on over. I can't afford a lawyer, but I want to see my kid. How do I get her to do the right thing? Mm. Well, first of all, I want to, Rodney, well done. Kudos to you for not yes. taking the bait. That, right. That's smart and that's courageous. Yes, but frustrating because oh, not see your kid. He wants to see his child. Yes, two. So the two-year-old probably doesn't understand what happened to daddy. Not he doesn't at all. say how long they were living together. But the last question: How do I get her to do the right thing? We don't have an answer for that. No, <laughs> right? I think that's a common theme in all of our episodes. Yeah. You can't get her to do anything. Now the court might be able to get her to do the right thing. In fact, I'm pretty sure they would. You yeah. would have to probably legitimize, at least I know in Georgia, if you were never married, you have to legitimize. Possibly if your name is on the birth certificate, that would be enough for some states. But I think in Georgia, you legitimize by giving your DNA. And once it's determined that you are indeed the biological father, then it's kind of a given that you will get time with your child as well as probably pay some child support and that kind of thing. And it's really worth it to get that put into place because then a parenting plan can be established. Your legitimate rights can be established. Yes. And then the court, hopefully you can ask the court for a pickup and drop off place. That's maybe in a public venue, dropping off and picking up at McDonald's or somewhere where she's less likely to start getting up in your face, right? Yeah. Poking at you, the poke, the close proximity, all of that is meant to bait you or get you to get angry. And I know some parents actually have a dash cam that they've purchased oh, and yeah. use it for pickup drop off. Uh, okay. But still, I would do a public place if sure. I was at all nervous. So that's the first order of business. However, I do understand it's expensive to do that. But in most jurisdictions, you can call your county court and you can find out what kind of services they provide to educate you. I know in some of the Atlanta metro counties where we do most of our work, they will have pro bono classes that you can take if you can't afford an attorney but want to know how to go through a divorce or how to file the right paperwork you can take those classes. Some courts, I know, even have family law centers in them where you can go in and they can tell you what forms to fill out and that kind of thing. They just are very wary about helping you too much because they can't give you legal advice. So all they can do is provide you with forms and 
show you how to fill them out and then you have to do the rest, but at the very least do it on your own. If that's hard to navigate, take someone with you Mm -hmm. who maybe has done it before, right? Yeah. So maybe you have a friend or a family member who knows a little bit more than you do about how to navigate the legal system and they can help you through that. So I definitely would take action legally. And I know there are some national and probably even statewide father advocacy groups sure, right. you could reach out to. Yeah, there's one I know in Georgia that's fathers are parents too. Yes. And I know there's some national fathers' rights groups that have local chapters. So yes. get on your Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and find some of those groups and look for local chapters and call one of those guys. And they've probably done this kind of thing before and would be glad to maybe even accompany you to the court to figure out how to get the forms filed. You're going to have filing fees, a couple hundred dollars or so of filing fees to do that, but it's way worth it. Rodney, what you're going through is not okay. And she technically does have the right to withhold visitation right now because nothing's been legitimized. Right. You know? That's the first step. So she's here. feeling very, very powerful. Rick, my first thought was this woman either wants him back really bad, right? Huh. That I just want to, if I can get him back in the home, at least I get the attention I want and I can convince him to stay with me if I refuse to let him see our son. Interesting. Or the opposite is true. She wants him really to disappear and she wants to move on with her, her son by herself. And so I'm not sure which is true, but so Rodney, you're very smart to beware. So there's two different like kinds of bait possible here. Yes. You're suggesting. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. And I bet you, if we were talking to Rodney, he would answer that question for us quickly. Oh I, yeah. She does want me back because he has a history of maybe them breaking up and her luring him back into her wiles, her feminine wiles, right. doing all that women do, right? Uh, little vixens we are. But, <laughs> or he may say, no, she she wants me to fall off the face of the earth so she can move on with her new boyfriend or something of that nature. So we don't know which it is, but either way, it sounds a little bit dangerous. So do the legal stuff, Rodney. That's, the, that's what we really want you to hold on for this and let go of the fact that you can do anything about her attitude. And we don't know that you won't get legitimized and get a parenting plan through the court and she still won't let you do it, which means then you would have to go back to court and file a contempt and say, she's not allowing me to have my father's rights, but you can't do that until you have those rights established by the court. Right. The courts typically will protect your parental rights if right. you are, in fact, the parent. So that's yeah. what you got to prove as, first. As long as she can't prove that you would be somehow a danger to your child. So that put aside, which I think answers the crux of Rodney's question, but like you said, he deserves some praise here for taking care of himself. And I really want to talk a little bit to parents about this, especially if you're a parent who's currently going through a divorce or separation through the court, emotions are extremely high. Maybe you and this other parent have never, ever gotten close to any kind of domestic violence behavior, but there's always a first time mm. when you have some of these high emotions. And we hear that story quite often, don't we, Rick? That yes. This was never a problem in the marriage, but 
tempers started to flare. Maybe you were picking up or dropping off the kids. Somebody came out into the driveway. Sometimes then it's an extended family member that comes out, wants to pick a fight with you because they feel like you've hurt their sister or their daughter. And they're right. yeah. Pick a fight with you in the driveway. Next thing you know, one thing leads to another and the police are called and two or three people are hauled off to jail in handcuffs and the poor children are sitting there going, what's happening to my family. That kind yeah. of thing's never, ever good for the children. But even if the children aren't around, be very careful. They might invite you into their house in a very friendly manner. Oh, come on in. But once you step across that threshold of another person's house and violence happens, chances are you're the one who's going to jail. Yes. You entered their home, their mm-hmm. domain. And if a fight breaks out and the homeowner says he came into my house and became aggressive with me, you're not going to look so great. So it's really, even if the children invite you in, oh, daddy or mommy, come in and see my new room that I got set up here. We got a new puppy. Come and see it. It's okay to say, not this time. Why don't you send me photos of it? Text me a photo or I'll see him on FaceTime next time we talk. I have to get going. I've got something I have to do. Don't even let your children talk you into walking over that threshold because all it takes is a question about where's my child support check or, (laughs) or I found out you were cheating on me and now I'm not happy. And again, tempers will flare and things can go south pretty quickly. And you might think you can control yourself till someone starts to poke their finger in your chest. Yep. Or in your face. Or they get three inches away from you Mm -hmm. and start calling you names that nobody has ever called you before. You may not be powerful enough in yourself to walk away from that. Even pushing pushing somebody away in what you might think would be self-defense can be considered assault. Yeah, because you're putting your hands on them. Right. And we've heard this too, Rick, men especially, because they might be twice as large as Mm -hmm. (laughs) their co-parent. Oftentimes it's assumed that you're the one who got violent. And I've had plenty of male clients who I believe were beat up. Yes. (laughs) Maybe not to the point where they were incapacitated, but they have gotten bruises and broken noses and things because they had a female in their life who was extremely violent and aggressive, but they worry that no one will ever believe that because they're big men. So your presence in the courtroom sometimes can negate the ability for a judge maybe to believe that that would happen to you because you were smart enough to not defend yourself. Right. Yeah. And you didn't lay a hand and you allowed them to beat on you because you were trying to not be involved and you still kind of get the short end of the stick. So Mm. this is especially for males that you have to be very careful that a female might try to get you into a fight where they could call the police. Now, Rick, you're a male. Why would a female do that? What do they have to gain by doing that? Well, what we've sometimes seen is now you end up in front of court and now you're, like you said, got the wrong end of the stick. You're accused of violence. Now a TPO, a temporary protective order or a restraining order is filed. The judge says yes. And now you can't see your children. And so somebody could do that in order to keep the kids away from the other parent. Right. Right which is really sad. 
and horrible to do that for that reason. I mean, sometimes TPOs are legitimate and they need to be in place just to give people a break. I hate to see TPOs or restraining orders put in place against the children, against the parent not seeing the children because it's not their fault. And one violence issue doesn't make a parent a violent person. (laughs) It might make them human, right? Right. Now, if there's a pattern of violence or there was a pattern of violence in the marriage and it is continuing post-divorce, then of course, the evaluators need to be involved to determine whether you are a danger. But we see a lot of one-offs in divorce. Again, nonviolent people becoming violent because it's such a high emotion time. And to not be able to see your kids for six months because of that is really not fair. No. Feel fair, especially to the one who's the victim of that. So I just want to issue a warning. And even after the divorce is over, if you are a high conflict couple, don't do exchanges where you even go to each other's door. Yes. Let let the child come to your car. If they're old enough to walk, let them come out to your car. Don't stand at the doorstep banging on the door and create some kind of anger issue that will escalate. So we want to make it clear, this is not just a danger for someone who is not legitimized. They were never married. This is a danger for anybody who has a co-parent. And some people will manipulatively connive to make this happen. And then you're in jail And now you're not being able to see your Mm -hmm. children. And like you said earlier, Diane, sometimes you could even lose a job. Right, right. We've seen that happen too, depending on the type of work that you do. Just having an accusation and a charge like this against you, which may end up going away because there's nothing to hold it up. For some employers, that's enough to say, we can't have you working here, depending on what the sensitivity is of your job. So this is a serious issue. And and keep in mind that a parent who's prone to alienating behaviors, this is one of the tools in their toolbox, Yes, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we fear is it leads to other accusations, false accusations of violence against the children or God forbid, sexual violence against a child. But I've seen cases, thankfully not a lot, but I've seen enough in my career to know that some people are capable of that kind of viciousness and that kind of manipulation. So I'm not saying that that's the norm. It's not. But what is normal is high emotion and high conflict cases. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've seen it it happen. Yep. We understand it. We understand the emotions, but understanding and excusing that are two different things. So in other words, I think what I'm saying is if you walk into somebody's house or allow them to bait you into an argument, then the result is on you. Yeah. You could have protected yourself from that by just making a decision up front. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to put myself at risk of that kind of harm emotionally or physically. Yeah, it's not worth it. So if you, one, control yourself. And then two, don't put yourself in a position to let somebody accuse you of something. Right. So now I want to talk about how do you explain that to your children? Yes. Because he's going to see his two-year-old if he goes through this process. He'll probably, yeah. So what do you say? Well, and we'll talk about older kids first. 
older kids are going to kind of know, depending on what they've seen, and they won't ask much questions. You can even say to an older child, you know, it's kind of a sensitive time right now. Your mom and I, your dad and I are going through this and the emotions are pretty high and and hurtful things are being said. So I just think it's better if I don't accompany you to the door. It's probably better if I don't walk into your mom's house or your dad's house, just so that we don't have to worry about anything escalating because possibly the kids heard you arguing when you were in the marriage and they understand. And you can say, I just want to protect you from that. So like I've said in the past, that word protection is something your kids will always understand. It's not that I don't like your mom. That's not why I won't go in the house. Right. It's that I'm protecting you for anything that could happen between her and I that might hurt you. So just safer this way. Talk about safety and protection. Younger kids, you might have a harder time. They aren't going to understand, or maybe you don't want to bring them into the possibilities. So you just say, no, I'll see you on Sunday. Remember? And then you can bring that over. And that way I won't go into the house to see it. And you don't even go to the door. No, you're a big girl. You can walk to the door all by yourself. <laughs> you don't need daddy with you. Look how, look how big you are. So you just play it off as something innocent yeah. when they're younger. The two-year-old, what I want to say to Rodney about being two is he doesn't really even know what's supposed to be happening. If you had a relationship with him, he remembers you, but he's also two. Two-year-olds have very limited memory. They can think of what happened yesterday and they can anticipate maybe tomorrow. But beyond that, their brains are just not capable of understanding what's going to happen two weeks from now or what happened two weeks ago, right? So we always say one day per year of age in toddlerhood is what their capacity to remember or to anticipate is. So... I wouldn't worry too much about how your two-year-old is viewing not being able to see you. As soon as you get back into his life, things will resume as normal, right? Yeah, he'll pick right he's, back up. Yep. He's not grieving right now, I guess is what no. I'm saying. <laughs> but when you do finally establish time with him, it's going to be very important that you don't disrespect his mom in front of him, even mm -hmm. though she sounds like she might be a difficult parent. She might make your life a little bit difficult. You still may have to be more flexible than the average parent with her because she's going to pull things at the last minute possibly. And you'd have to be work really hard to not put your child in the middle of that. So Rodney, you're probably going to have to go the extra mile on this one. If she remains difficult like this now, who knows, maybe you'll get the quarter in place and she'll she'll follow her out and she'll go, okay, well now I have to do this and I'll yeah. go ahead and do it. But Possibly not. Possibly so not. Long term, teach your child how to be kind and respectful, even with other people or not. And you just be a great dad to this two-year-old. He's young. He's got a lot of years. You guys have another 15, 16 years to co-parent this kid. Yes. And she may be difficult for the next 15 or 16 mm, years, right? Yeah. Sorry, Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> But even if she is, you've got a great opportunity to stay in this child's life and be a beacon for him because don't forget, he's going to be living with a difficult person too. Yes. You know? Oof. And as long as mom is safe, that's probably going to just continue this way. But non-custodial parents who don't see their child as much as they want to have a huge impact on their kids. Uh, yes, Absolutely. So even if you end up only seeing your child on the weekends or hopefully at least long weekends, you and your house will be the safe place for your child emotionally to feel like dad and I, we can talk, we can interact. It's comfortable and I can be a kid. Yeah.
Anything else about that, Rick? No, like I said, kudos, Rodney. You've got a level head on your shoulders. Just go through the process, get legitimized, get your parental rights, and get them protected. Yep. All right. Thank you for the question. And we hope to hear from many of you soon. Yes. All right. Thanks. Uh, Good job, Diane. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. Hey, listeners, how would you like to become a non-impossible VIP? Well, it's easy. Just go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cpdilemmas. And Patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash cpdilemmas. You'll get a special invite to our monthly live Q&As with Rick and me, where you will have the opportunity to ask questions and get real-time advice. You'll also receive non-impossible merchandise credits through our Facebook page, as well as my book, The Co-Parent Toolbox, in an ebook version. If you're a professional who works with co-parents, becoming a VIP means a monthly mention on our show. So all of this is for only $10 a month. So get connected more personally through Patreon. Thanks for listening. If you receive something valuable out of this episode, please let us know. That really helps us to know what's important to you. Or if you have a question about your co-parent dilemma, please call our voicemail number at 1234-DILEMMA. You can also email us at 1234-DILEMMA at gmail.com. Or better yet, access us on our listener Facebook page where we engage in lots of discussion about what we say on these episodes. Just search Facebook for non-impossibles. No matter how you communicate with us, if you don't feel comfortable using your real name, just let us know. We understand. The information contained in this podcast is generic. It must not be misconstrued as constituting legal or psychological advice. Decisions relevant to any specific individual, family system, or case require the direct evaluation of skilled, child-centered professionals. 